I'm excited to be here today. Dwayne is gone this morning. He's at a missions conference, um, and he's going to be learning more about strategic ways that we can partner with more people in the future just to um, impact more people around the globe um, like we love doing here at One Community Church. So um, with that being said, we're going to take a minute just to step away from the book of Mark, and we're going to dive into what I believe is one of the most important aspects of our Christian faith. It's discipleship. And discipleship, that, that's a word that in a lot of ways has lost its meaning in our churches today. We use it so often. It's a word that um, is a critical part of our church, though. And if we get mixed up on this word discipleship, then our whole church personality, our whole church culture, and everything that we do gets flipped, turned upside down, right? Um, and so it's super, super critical. And it was super important for the church of the Bible, so we're just going to dive right in here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit today, but my hope for us is that we would discover that discipleship can be the difference between a church that loves, learns, and lives Jesus versus a church that just shows up on Sunday morning and lives the rest of the week without any thought of spiritual growth or maturity. So that being said, let's start in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The first thing we need to see is that biblical discipleship isn't just something that we think is good for our church. It is commanded by Jesus in Scripture. We are commanded to make disciples. And these words, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he begins by declaring that all authority rests with him. I mean, what a great way to start this message, to send out his disciples to continue the work of the ministry after he's gone. He declares that everything that they're about to step into, every hardship, every struggle, every person that they are trying to make into a disciple, all the authority to do what they have to do, rests with Jesus. And then he says this in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now if you break this verse down, the main verb here is not go. It's actually to make disciples. It's as if Jesus was saying, as you go, make disciples. And as you baptize them, teach them. And so wherever we're at, in our work environments, at church on Sunday morning, we're getting coffee with people, we are meant to go and make disciples. You know, an important side note to mention here is that disciples don't just pop out of nowhere, right? They are made by other disciples spreading the gospel. So disciple making is simply this. When faithful disciples of Jesus Christ help other people become faithful disciples themselves. How do we do that? Through the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and baptism as a faithful demonstration of a converted heart. But Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop whenever we've made a disciple. He tells us in verse 20 to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. 
So not only are we commanded to make disciples, we are commanded to teach those disciples, to observe all things that he has commanded us. This is where discipleship begins. When people hear the gospel and they get saved, their eternity is altered forever. They have started an eternal journey with Jesus to become more like him every single day. But it doesn't just stop whenever they get saved. Now they get to spend the rest of their days learning and growing and maturing as Christ followers. So discipleship is simply this. Whenever those that have been following God for a while are more mature in the faith, come alongside those that are less mature, and they help them along their journey. And they do this through the word, through personal experience, and through wisdom that the less mature just haven't learned yet. But I love how Jesus ends this passage. He says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus has all the authority to carry out his commands that he has given us. He tells us then to go make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. And finally, he tells us that he is going to be with us in the middle of all of it. So that's what discipleship is. We know that Jesus has the authority to do everything that he's commanded us to do. And we know that he's with us every step of the way. So the problem is, why don't we engage in discipleship like we're commanded to? Whenever we know that the authority rests with Jesus and we know that he's with us, but for some reason churches today just simply do not engage in the way that Jesus wants us to. We understand what it is, but we first have to understand why it's so important. Why is growing and maturing in our faith such a crucial part of our walk with God? Why can't people just get saved and then not have to worry about all the growing stuff, right? That'd be pretty easy. I'm glad you asked. God could have chosen any way for the gospel message to spread over the earth. Likewise, he could have chosen any way for his followers to grow in their faith. But God chose us. We're plan A. We're it. There is no plan B. God chose the church, normal, broken, sinning people that have been changed by the gospel to be the vessel by which God's word is spoken to the world. You know, one of my favorite stories that demonstrates the importance of discipleship comes from Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. And in this story, a disciple named Ananias is called upon to go and lay hands on a guy named Saul of Tarsus. It says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men journeyed with him who stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. 
And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had uh, received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I know that's a huge chunk of scripture, but it displays this incredible story of a man named Saul of Tarsus who encounters the resurrected Christ as he's going to bring Christ followers back to Jerusalem in chains. But on his way, he sees the resurrected Jesus and his life is changed forever. He is led to Damascus by his companions and he waits there three days. But meanwhile, God was working on a guy named Ananias. And he tells him to go to a certain place and lay hands on Saul. And he does this with a little hesitancy. But he goes and he sees Saul of Tarsus. And he lays his hands on him. And Saul, who was blind, can now see. And he receives the Holy Spirit. But I love what it says in verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Not only did Saul that day find Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to dwell within him, but he spent time with disciples that were more mature in the faith than he was. And then immediately after this, he goes and he starts to preach Jesus to the world. And if you don't know already, this Saul of Tarsus originally, or eventually changes his name to Paul. And he is the one that writes over 75% of your New Testament. Here's my point. God did an incredible work in Ananias to not only help Saul find Jesus, but to help him grow and mature in his faith. And because of the work that God was doing in Ananias, millions and millions upon people have come to know Jesus because of Paul's life. You do not know the sort of impact that you can have on someone else when you come alongside them to help them mature and grow in their faith. When you dedicate yourself to sharing life and wisdom from God's word to other maturing disciples, you not, only, you not only have the chance to change their lives, but you also have the chance to change every single person that comes after them for the rest of their lives. You simply don't know the impact, but God has given us a command to go and make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them. And God, if we just are faithful to that, could do incredible things through us. Years later, when Paul is writing to the church of the Colossians, he says this in chapter 1. To them, the saints, which is Christians, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, 
striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So this mystery, which is the gospel, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, is what drove Paul the rest of his life. And it is what drove Ananias to encounter Saul in the first place. And it is why discipleship is so important for us, because our goal is to present every person perfect in Christ Jesus. Though we live in a world of sin and that will never happen perfectly, we strive and we labor like Paul did to present every person maturing and growing in their faith. This is why we are Christians. We have eternal life in our souls and we get to be with Christ in, in, in heaven. But eventually we'll get to be there. But I don't want to get to the other side of eternity and realize that I could have brought someone else with me. And then I could have helped them mature and grow in their faith so that they could turn right around and do the same for someone else. This is why discipleship matters. So we understand now why it's so important for us, but we have to make this leap somehow. How does one community start to become a discipleship church? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the practical ways that we can implement discipleship because we have a ton of resources, guys. We have uh, studies that you can do. You can join with a one-on-one -on -one encounter. You can do all these sorts of things. Dwayne is going to spend considerable time going through that in the future. But the truth is, once we truly have that passion for discipleship, I mean, it's in our bones. It's in our blood. It's who we are. Then the actual act of helping others grow in spiritual maturity takes off pretty easily. What do I mean? Well, are you in this crowd right now? Do you have spiritual wisdom that you would wish to show and encourage someone else with? All you have to do is go up to somebody that you wish to meet with and you say, hey, my name is Jack. I would love to get together with you, do a Bible study. What does, does Tuesday morning work for you? And then they'll say, ah, oh, Tuesday morning doesn't work for me. I got to take my kids to school. And then, then you say, okay, what about Friday morning? And then they say, Friday morning just really isn't going to work. And then they say, okay, what about Thursday evening? And then they say, Thursday evening is great, right? And then you get together, and then you start studying the Bible together. It's as simple as that. But the truth is, if you don't have the passion for discipleship in your blood, then there's no way you're going to go up to that person and ask them if you want to start a Bible study. Here's the thing. You have to have that passion for discipleship. It's my prayer. It's my desire for us. And there seems to be a problem in our North American church experience. I'm not saying one community specific, but there seems to be a problem with our churches that prevents us from finding that passion. The problem is this. So many of us have become spiritual spectators rather than spiritual disciples. Maybe you're sitting here and you are desperate to learn the Bible. And you are longing for discipleship. Or, or maybe on the flip side, you are in a position where you could start discipling someone else. But instead of engaging in what God is calling you to, you allow the excuses of this life to prevent you from taking the next step in your walk with God. What do I mean? If you guys just look at me for a minute, I really wouldn't call myself an athlete, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I'm clumsy. I was worried about tripping up the stairs when I came up here, right? I, didn't, I wasn't good at sports growing up. But I tried playing sports, I was on the team, but I was definitely more of a sideline kind of guy, right? Anybody else, side, you don't have to raise your hand, it's fine. Um, I was definitely more of a sideline kind of guy. I would always be looking away from the coach so he didn't look at me so I didn't have to get in the game. And I would make these excuses for why I didn't want to engage in what I was doing. Maybe I didn't want to get hurt. 
right? I didn't want to wreck my body for the rest of the school year just because of one game, right? Maybe, maybe I simply felt like I didn't know enough about the game, right? Coach, you can't use me. I can't be an effective player. I don't know enough about what's going on out there to be of use to you. Or maybe I was more comfortable on the sidelines, right? You're sitting back, you got water in your hand, you're watching some games, and people are out there running around. Why would I want to get out and get all sweaty and get all dirty whenever I could just sit on the sidelines? I'm more comfortable where I am. Or maybe, maybe some of us are too busy to even join the team that season, right? You know, these excuses apply perfectly to why so many of us don't engage in discipleship. Now, I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. Because I understand that for so many of us, life circumstances, trials, sorrows, just hardships get in the way of discipleship. But that's why when the scripture says to go, therefore, and make disciples, it means to make disciples as you go, right? Because discipleship is something that happens in the midst of all the craziness of life. So if your discipleship needs to take a back burner for a moment because life is just too hard right now to be able to engage in it, that's okay right? That's just living in a world of brokenness and sin. But the excuses that we use to not engage in discipleship come from a selfish heart, not life, not life circumstances. It's that selfishness that turns us into spectators, and that's what I want to try and combat today. Take a few of these excuses, for example. Maybe some of us feel like we don't know enough, right? You know, one of the wisest things that you can say to someone that you're discipling is, I don't know. I don't know, but let's find out together, right? Again, whose authority are you making disciples with in the first place? And, and who is with you the whole time that you're doing it? See, Jesus knows all. And if you trust that he is the one guiding you every step of the way, then yeah, you may not have all the answers. You may not have life all figured out, but that's okay if you would just trust in Jesus who does. That's why one of the best things you can teach someone else is that faith in Christ is a journey. And the word of God is a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. And they will spend the rest of their days becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you have that humility to admit that, yeah, I don't have it all together, but let's figure it out together. Man, God can do incredible things. But the problem is we don't want to appear like we don't have it all together, right? And the very excuse that we use for not engaging in discipleship makes us into sideline players. And trust me, anybody that's starving for discipleship, they're not looking at the sideline for mentorship, right? They're looking at the people that are in the game, the ones that are not making excuses, the ones that realize that God has given us this command to go therefore and make disciples, the ones that love it, right? You know, none of the great heroes of the Bible had it all figured out. But yet they imparted what they did know to those that came after them. And they lived in humility, recognizing that God was with them and was guiding them every step of the way. You know, Moses struggled with public speaking, right? But yet he stood up to Pharaoh with Aaron's help and he, he led an entire people out of slavery because he knew that his God was with him. Later at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses passes on the torch to Joshua. And Moses doesn't tell him that he has to have it all figured out before he crosses the Jordan, right? No, he simply says to have courage and do not fear because God is with you. 
Because Moses with faith, was faithful to train Joshua, Joshua was then able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. I love what Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says. This is God speaking to Joshua to commission him in his new leadership. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So does God tell Joshua that he has to know everything before he goes out? No, he simply says to follow God's word. Meditate on it. Have good courage because God is with him wherever he goes. The truth is God never calls the equipped, right? He equips the called. And if you feel that God is calling you to disciple someone, but you fear that you don't know enough, friends, lay that fear down at the feet of Jesus and trust that God is with you and he will guide you. So maybe some of us feel like we do know enough, right? But we're too comfortable sitting on the sidelines. We know what's right. We know that we are called to engage in discipleship, but I don't want to get out of my bubble to do it, right? Some of us may say, Jack, I, I just want to do my Sunday thing and, and go home, right? I want to eat lunch and fall asleep on the couch. I want to stay in my bubble and leave all the church stuff to other people. I, I don't want to have to meet someone new and, and try to get to know them and share my life with them because that's uncomfortable. I want God to be there when I need him. But the rest of the time, I'd like to continue living however I want. This is probably one of the most dangerous excuses that we can make. Because now we've made God out to be the giant vending machine in the sky. And he will give us all the blessings we want, but we don't have to lift a finger for his kingdom. You know, I have to be careful not to go on a soapbox here because this is so destructive for us. If we don't get this in our heads, God never promised that following him was going to make us comfortable. Actually, he promised the opposite. He said that the world was going to hate us for our faith. He never said that following him was going to make us wealthy, right? He said to give all of our wealth over to him. He never said that following him was going to make us healthy, he never said that by following him, everything would go according to our plans. He said that by following him, we would have him. And that's enough. And he is enough no matter what happens to us in this life. So it's crazy to me to think that the North American church is consumed by comfort when every single one of Jesus' Jesus's disciples lived incredibly hard lives for the gospel. And every single one of them died horribly because of the persecution around them. All except John. Well, he was boiled alive in oil, and then he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he lived the rest of his days as a slave. Right? This was the fruit of the gospel in their lives. But yet they knew that God was with them and was guiding them, and they knew the mission and purpose that they had on their lives. So they spent every single day pursuing that, striving, laboring towards that end to make disciples and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded us. True and honest discipleship in the local church is going to require us to get out of our comfort zones. 
and sacrifice just a little for the sake of someone else growing in their faith. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Guys, Christianity was built on the blood, sweat, and tears of faithful men and women, not on the comfort. And yes, God is our comforter, and whenever we follow him, he gives us joy beyond reckoning. And we get to experience the incredible joys of having him in our lives and seeing other people grow in their faith and mature. Those are all incredible things. We get to have community. Those are absolutely wonderful. But the truth is, God is requiring us to lay our lives down in the service of the kingdom. So we could spend all day talking about the excuses that we make. But if you were to boil all the excuses down, we can see that true discipleship is going to cost us something. You know, I love what Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. You know, in the ancient world, no one in their right mind would take up a cross because they knew what was at the end of that cross. They knew that it was a one-way ticket to death. But Jesus, he's calling his disciples to deny themselves and to take up his cross daily, meaning we are to live as sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, just as Christ first sacrificed his life for us. Because when we decide to take up the cross, we truly find life. Whenever we forsake the worldly things and we decide that it may be tough to follow Jesus, but the joy that we get from following him, man, it's everlasting. It will never fade away. And we get to experience that newness of life whenever we take up his cross and we choose to follow him. It's true, if you continue to use the excuses that we use and you continue to deny Jesus' calling on your life, then you might gain the whole world, Right? but you yourself may be destroyed in the process. And Jesus says in verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. I don't know about you, but that's not where I want to be whenever I experience Christ's return. I want to be carrying that cross knowing that I've been faithful to the call of discipleship in my life. I don't want Jesus to turn his head away and be ashamed of the way that I chose to live on this planet. We have eternal life. Man, we give our lives to Jesus. It's solidified. It is assured. It's never disappearing. But yet, we're on this earth. We get to experience sin in this life still. We get to help other people find Jesus and help them grow. But Jesus ends this passage with hope. 
He doesn't just tell his disciples that this life is going to cost them and it's all going to be bad and it's just going to be bad, right? He says in verse 27, But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Likewise, when we put our faith in Jesus, he saves us. And the hope of glory now rests within our hearts. The hope that one day all sin and shame and brokenness will fade away and all we will have is Christ for all eternity. But right now, with that hope of glory, we are called to take up his cross and follow him. We are called to get in the game, to no longer be sideline players. We are called to make disciples. I'd like the band to come up now. As we conclude, I want us all just to bow our heads and close our eyes. Some of you are thinking, man, that was pretty short. We're going to get home for lunch and I can take a nap, right? But I don't want you to leave without pondering this question. What does discipleship mean for you? Are you in a spot in your spiritual growth where you need someone that is wiser to guide you? Will you today make that decision to reach out to someone and ask for guidance? Or maybe this morning you're on the flip side and you know that you've been growing and maturing in your faith and you know that call of discipleship is on your life. Will you lay it down in the service of the kingdom? Stop making excuses this morning. Now is your chance to make an impact on someone else's eternal journey. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you don't feel like you are good enough or you don't know enough for God to love you. Friends, if that's you, I want to tell you how wrong you are this morning. God loves you so much and he knows that you are a sinner. He knows that you're not perfect but he sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life. And God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He became the sacrifice so that you and I could have a relationship with God above. But three days later, he rose from the dead, proving for all time that he had power over sin and death. And if we sitting here this morning confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved this morning. You have an opportunity to lay your life down at the feet of Jesus and be saved. You can start your eternal journey today knowing that God lives inside of you and you have that hope of glory no matter where you go. And church, if we're going to make that gap, if we're going to make that leap to become a discipleship church, we have to understand that we are plan A for the gospel. There is no plan B. God has given us a mission and a purpose to go out and make disciples to baptize them, and to teach them to observe all that God has commanded us. I don't want to belong to a church that just shows up on Sunday, worships for an hour, and then moves on. I want to be a church that loves, learns, and lives Jesus every single day. Discipleship is that difference.